Hi, I'm Peter Schwing, and welcome to the Stories from the Run podcast and community. This is the show for the everyday runner, all about inspiring and sometimes humorous stories from your fellow runners. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to thank all our supporters for making this podcast possible. If you like what you hear, please slam that subscribe button or sign up on our website, storiesfromtherun.com. You can also join the Facebook community or follow us on Instagram through the links in the show notes. First and foremost, I hope everyone is staying healthy and sound. This episode was recorded at the beginning of February and our guest takes a Buddhist-based approach to cultivate mindfulness through the practice of running, which included falling asleep during an ultra marathon. You might wanna check out his site and his meditations, especially during these times to help you focus on what's important and feel more at ease. We're gonna call this one, hashtag lucid dreaming, hashtag mindfulness, let's get to it. State your name and any club affiliation for the record, please. Hi, I'm Eric Wilden. Um, I refuse to join any club that would have me as a member, but I'm affiliated with uh, Elkins Park Beer Runners, which I helped found about five years ago. And I participate in some other group runs with uh, Penny Pack Beer Run or Penny Pack Trail Runners and uh, just whoever else is running out there in the Philadelphia region. Right on. So, so <laughs> hey, well, welcome, Eric. Let's just go right into what is your approach to running? Uh, <laughs> put one foot in front of the other and go. <laughs> um, you know, I'm I'm not. <laughs> I've uh, yeah, I didn't run when I was a kid. I've never had a coach. I mean, I've had lots of people give me running advice and I've read a lot of books on it, but I've never had a coach myself. So my approach is really just um, have a plan, uh, stick to it as much as you can and know that most people don't stick to plans. And as long as you're close, you're going to be okay. You know, like I I really kind of have a tight B approach, I think, to running. Um, I talk to a lot of runners and I know there are a lot of runners out there and I hear them on podcasts and they're very, there's a very type a personality that pushes themselves. Um, especially, um, you know, among, uh, marathoners and distance runners. Um, but I fall into the other group, the, the type B group that's there to have a good time. Um, that's there, you know, I'm there because it, it, it gets me outside I'm there because it makes me healthy. I'm there because it makes me feel better about myself. And I'm there because as I've realized over time, it helps me cultivate mindfulness. So that's kind of my approach, I'd say. Um, it's, it's uh, you know, it's chill out, have a good time. Running's fun. You only get to do it for a certain period of your life. And let's, let's enjoy it while we can. And also community and being able to. Oh, yeah. So you, you said like, you know, you, you won't run with any club that'll accept you, but you do have like, I, I know one of the club affiliations you, you did say was Dharma running. So yeah, that's the, that's my um, running group and my, uh, the, the coaching that I do and the workshops that I do fall under Dharma running, which is, um, you know, what I've done is I, well, I studied uh, meditation and Buddhism in grad school. I have a degree from a master's degree from, uh, Naropa University, which was founded by a Tibetan uh, Buddhist teacher back in the early 70s. And, you know, it's one of the um, most prominent schools in the country teaching Buddhism and Buddhist studies and contemplative education. And I kind of take what I've learned 
um, studying Buddhism in depth, studying meditation in depth, and I'd bring it into uh, running workshops, workshops for runners to teach them how to meditate, uh, how to integrate sitting meditation with running uh, in order to cultivate mindfulness on the run. And then I, I also bring in the other some other aspects of uh, the, my Buddhist approach, which are uh, the wisdom aspect, kind of the worldview of seeing us all as interconnected um, and a, a mind of compassion and cultivating compassion while running and looking for ways to uh, help other people. And, and really, the way I've come to see running is that it's, a, a, it's one way to help make the world a better place. You know, so um, Dharma running for me is that's what it's all about. That's why I started doing these workshops and, and coaching people with a specific intention of helping uh, folks become more mindful and helping folks become uh, more compassionate. So if I, I want to be part of Dharma running, how would I go about this? And what is the first thing that you would be saying? The first thing we do is we talk about, I, you know, the first thing I do is I teach meditation. Um, I teach people how to sit and watch their minds and slow down. Uh, my tagline is slow down with Dharma running because, you know, we all have busy lives. We're all speeding around. A lot of the times that, that speed and that kind of hyperactivity of life carries over into our running. And it's not as healthy as approaching running, I think, from a uh, more relaxed, um, a more relaxed frame of mind and a more mindful state. So what I do is I teach basic mindfulness meditation um, on the cushion or in the chair, following our breath, watching our minds, watching the thoughts arise and letting them go. And then I talk about and uh, offer some tools for how to take that from the cushion out onto the road or onto the trail. Um, I think running is really, uh, runners are a great crowd for mindfulness. There's a great audience for it because uh, running is a, it's a mindful practice to begin with. And I think most runners start to realize that if they think about it, is that we have those objects of meditation when we're sitting on a cushion, we'll often follow our breath and then thoughts arise and we let them go. Um, we think about the way we're sitting, our posture. We, we pay attention to feelings in our bodies. And those are all things that runners do too. We, you know, when I run, I, I pay attention to my breath or I pay attention to my form or I, I notice feelings in my body. And, um, you know, those are sort of the objects of meditation for me when I'm on the run. And I might tune into something for a while and then I might find myself distracted in thought. Uh, and then I bring myself back. I let go of the, the discursive thinking and I bring myself back to the object of meditation, whether it's my breath or my form or my foot strike. There's so many, um, so many potential objects of meditation while we're running that I think it's, it's, a, it's a great time to meditate, really. 
You go through so many different emotions on a run or if a race yeah. or in distance, you find you get inside your head and it's like, well, how do I get out of my head? I might be doing something like, hey, I, did I turn the iron off? Then I'll just go through oh, yeah. again or I'll start doing Excel spreadsheets or something and trying to do math and complex equations. And that helps oh, that scary. distraction. Oh, yeah. But it's that <laughs> distraction from what is going mm -hmm. on. But when you start getting into that dark area, so especially more in a distance run or a 50k and you're out there in the mountains and you're by yourself you don't realize that if you just kind of look around you, you can really take in the energy of the forest and build from there I was doing a talk on and somebody asked me, it was like, well, I start getting down and I start talking myself out of it or I'm like, I'm not feeling right. And I'm like, well, always listen to your body if it's something's not feeling right. But right. what about why don't you change your focus from that and just try focusing on your breathing? Because it's a rhythm. And if you can stay in that rhythm, but if you're focused on it, that brings your mind into a certain way. And I, I know that's I'm not explaining that very well, but I think that might be something you could help explain. No, I think I think you're explaining it great. Um, you know, it's it's a matter of pain is, you know, it's the old saying that pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional. You know, we're going to have you're going to be sore if you're running a marathon. Right. Um, it's you know, there's an element where it's important to know your body and listen to your body. And there's a there's a fine line between pushing yourself and sort of uh, being, you know, running more mindfully and letting go of that negative, those negative thought patterns that come up when you, you know, when you're trying to push yourself to run a long distance and actual injury. You know, I would never tell anyone to, you know, try to be more mindful and push through the pain. <laughs> it's, just, it's not like that, right? So, you know, I mean, you can, you can mindfulness yourself right into, you know, the injuries that are going to keep you from running for a long time, but there's, but you know, the, the more mindful you are and the more you practice, practice this approach, uh, the more, you know, the better, you know, your body and the better, you know, that the thought processes that you have when you're, when you're pushing yourself like that, and you start to see those patterns of negative thinking that come up, we all have specific patterns. Um, and specific habits and specific ways that our that our brain starts telling us things that aren't true, right? When we're on the run, um, that that we need to be able to let go of. And when we practice mindfulness, especially if we're tuning back into our body, tuning back into our breathing, um, we're able to let go of those those negative thought patterns. Um, to some extent, I mean, you know, for some of us, they're always there. Like <laughs> they come up for me all the time, but, uh, but you know, the, the, the better I am at practicing mindfulness on the run, the better I can kind of, kind of get back into just running and just being in that zone or I, I or just enjoying it. You know, if I'm on a trail run, just enjoying being out in the woods, um, or just, just feeling more feeling good about it. Um, rather than getting lost in thought constantly. And there is something you touched upon and, and it's the mind and the mind doesn't like change. It likes to be comfortable and that's, yeah. so it'll put up a resistance to a lot of things that any people who are athletic, people who are trying to achieve a PR or go an extra distance or the mind's more comfortable sitting on the couch. So, right. 
and filling in gaps yeah. and it's filling in gaps that don't exist. So things mm-hmm. you might start talking yourself out of it, but you're not talking yourself out of it. Your brain's just kind of like, Hey, listen, I don't want to do this, but really it's you that can have control over that to an extent. Right. That's the sort of the difference between thinking and awareness. You know, we can kind of step back from our thinking and you know, it's interesting when you meditate that you can, there's part of you that can watch the thinking happening and not react to it, right? So when I'm, when I'm sitting and meditating, I kind of, my thoughts kind of move to the back of my mind and they're always bubbling up. Your mind's always um, processing what's going on. They're, you can't stop your thoughts. They're always going to happen. It's kind of like, um, it's like digestion. You know, it's like you, you take something in and you're processing it. And your, you know, your stomach is processing the food you take in. Your mind is taking, your mind is processing all the stimuli that you take in all day. And you can respond to those habitually. You can cling to the thoughts and, and get carried away with them. Or you can develop an awareness that creates space around them so that, so that you're, you know, you're stepping back a little bit from the thought process and letting it take place without, uh, without grasping you know, without letting it carry you away. So that, and that's sort of what, um, that's, that's how, you know, the Buddha describes suffering. It's suffering is attachment to the thought process and the way to, to kind of liberate yourself from it is to create that space around it so that it can happen without, um, carrying you away. It's that acknowledgement. And so when I first started meditating, and it's something that many people, it's their challenge of meditating because they think that it's supposed to be silent and you're not supposed to have any thoughts. Yeah, you're supposed to stop thinking. Right. right. That's impossible. <laughs> so so for anybody who's started, been trying to get into meditation or has started, it's like you're always going to have thoughts. And especially if you're in the city, you're always going to have an ambulance or a car honking as they go by. Yeah. So it's how you mm-hmm. adapt to that. Because si- pure silence is not – you don't necessarily want pure silence. If, if you actually ever find yourself in a room I, – I, I saw a, a recent uh, study on this. They had somebody in a room. It was like the silent room. It wasn't just like a recording studio mm-hmm. where it was soundproof. It was true silence. And they couldn't last, oh, like some couldn't last over 60 seconds in this room because the brain right. just couldn't comprehend that. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think this sense that the meditation is about turning off your thoughts um, the problem is that, uh, you know, a lot of the meditation teachers out there are are experts and they've been doing it for a really long time. And so, you know, th- these guys that were coming over in the 50s and 60s uh, may have inadvertently given the the notion that it was about turning off their thoughts because their, their brains are working in a completely different way than ours. Um, so what I think is you need stupid people like me to teach meditation because I can never turn my brain off. So I'm never going to tell anybody that that's something they need to do. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm living in the world just like everyone else. Mm -hmm. So what other things outside meditation? And I know you say you identify so strongly with being a runner, but what other side projects or, you know, talk about family life and how everything ties in together? Yeah. I mean, I, well, I have a I have a full time job outside of you know 
teach, I wish teaching meditation and running was a full-time job, but, um, my full-time job is I help run a, uh, a nonprofit that does in-home services for seniors in a few neighborhoods of Philadelphia. So that's, you know, there's most of my week right there. Right. And that's um, a wonderful cause. I, it's a great job. It's a, it's called Ralston my way. And we, you know, we help people who are 55 and older with a lot of in-home services, including home care. So there's a plug for that. <laughs> um, the, you know, and then I have a family. I'm, I'm married. I have uh, 10 and almost 13 year old daughters. So uh, there's a lot of, um, you know, need to balance family life with the running and the work. And uh, it's not always easy, but uh, you know, I fit my running in when I can, I, in the winter, when it's dark in the morning, I find myself running home from work more often, uh, cause it's harder for me to get up in the morning. And I'd like, you know, when I do get up early, I like to have some peaceful time and I've been meditating in, in the mornings. Um, but, uh, and I run, you know, I'll get up early on Saturday and run with the Penny Pack Trail Runners because that's when they go out, 7.30 Saturday morning. So I kind of have a weekly schedule for my runs uh, that shifts throughout the year depending on when the sun comes up and how I'm feeling. Uh, you know, and then I, I try to keep um, enough time set aside for my family, for, uh, for you know, just hanging out with my kids and, and my wife and playing games and going for bike rides and hikes and all the, all the variety of things that we do. I'm, I'm, uh, I, I've uh, just tonight was reminded that my daughter has a Valentine's dance tomorrow. So I think I'm going to run home from work instead of going to Elkins park beer runners tomorrow. So, you know, I'm just, the, the schedules change. And for me, running is something that's really important to me, but, um, you know, I have to prioritize my family because that's even more important. And someday I'll be running with them someday. You know, there's one 5k that my whole family does every year. Uh, that it's called the Jenkintown sunset run. And that happens, uh, in June and it starts at like 7 PM and that's a fun, really fun time. And my kids and my wife have, have all run it the last two years with me. So that's a fantastic annual tradition to do with the family. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I'm really hoping that, you know, as my kids get older, my, my, uh, my almost teenager wants to run track. So I'm hoping that she gets into running more. I mean, I have all these fantasies, who knows, maybe she'll hate it and, uh, we'll never get to, to run together, but you know, there's the broad street run in Philadelphia is a big 10 mile run. I have fantasies of running that with my kids someday. And who knows a marathon, who knows a 50 miler. <laughs> you never a, know. A guy can dream. And yeah, right. ex exactly. So then let's give her some advice here based on maybe what not to do or how to get over something that uh, a challenge or an obstacle or what you learned, let's say from the worst race that you've ever had. And I know that's a tough question, like which exactly is huh. the worst race, but what race would you say is one that you took the biggest learning experience away from? Oh man. Uh, I mean, there's, if you just left it at the worst race, that would be easier. All right. well, Cause I don't know that I learned anything from it, but uh, right. no, the, my, my worst race was my first marathon. I think if I had to, if I had to pick one just because it was, it was a huge learning experience in that it was nothing I had ever done before. And 
every every step of that race was was learning for me. You know, I learned that oh, um, you should work some um, some recovery days into your training. Don't try to train for a marathon while you're also trying to do a year long running streak. At least not for me. Not the best idea. Um, you know, have a better plan. What was the streak? I did. I did a year long streak of, I ran, my average was about three miles a day, um, 366 days. Uh, so I didn't, you know, some of those days it was just a mile, but I didn't have a single day where I didn't run at all. I didn't do any strength training either. I just ran. So, um, you know, there's a lot that I would do differently now. That was, uh, over 10 years ago and I'm older and wiser, I think, um, you know, always have a plan B, <laughs> always have a plan C. I'm on plan and, J. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and if you can help it, don't stop the P if you're trying to, if you're trying, if you're trying to, uh, if you're trying to get a sub four hour marathon and you, you're just on pace for it because you'll end up uh, finishing your marathon in four hours and 17 seconds, which is what I did. So, <laughs> um, four hours and three seconds for me, four hours and three seconds. Three oh, seconds. Yeah. Your first one too. My, my first one. Yeah. yeah. We'll see. I call mine, uh, three fifty nine seventy seven. <laughs> I so, like that. <laughs> yours is three fifty nine sixty three. Right on. Um, yeah. Somebody else told me I was allowed to say that. <laughs> <laughs> But, but yeah, I mean, that's, I learned a lot from that first marathon and I didn't run another marathon for five years after that. I also, you know, I was really unprepared. I, I went from my first race was in April that year. It was a 5k and my second race was in November and it was a marathon. I wasn't used to racing. I just didn't know that much about it. I'd seen it. I'd, you know, spectated at the Philadelphia marathon before, but the experiences of being in it is completely different. And, um, you know, I, I think that I took, took about five years to run another marathon, but I've run 13 more since then. And, uh, you know, I, I learned a lot from that first one that still, still affects my, you know, every time I go out for a marathon, I'm thinking about that first one that I did. So then taking from what you learned there, let's flip up the light switch and talk about what you consider maybe like was your best race. The Dirty German was the most fun, mm-hmm. and I've run that a couple years now. But, um, well, they're all so much fun. It's really hard to pick one that's the best. But the one that I feel proudest of is the JFK 50-miler, and that's my only 50-miler so far, the longest I've, longest distance I've run. Um, and I, you know, my training went really well for it. I did better than I thought I would. Um, it was just a you know, a really great time. JFK is, is a, an exceptional ultra, um, you know, and it's the oldest ultra in the country. I think it's the biggest It has 1200 or so runners. Um, it's a really interesting route, uh, because you go, you know, you start in Boonesboro, Maryland, which is the starting line actually happens to be about less than half a mile from my father-in-law's house. So that was pretty cool. I just kind of got up and went. Got to roll out um, of bed. Yeah, you just kind of walk, run, walk up the road with all these people for a couple miles until you hit the Appalachian Trail, and then you're up and down over the Appalachian Trail for, I think it's, uh, I want to say, 
14, 15 miles, but I'm not exactly, I'm not remembering the, the distance of that Appalachian Trail section. Um, and then you hit the CNO Canal Pass for 26 and a half miles. So you're on this flat, uh, <laughs> it was muddy when I did it, um, you know, this flat sort of gravelly, muddy path for over a marathon distance. And then the last eight and a half miles are, you're on winding country roads. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, there's a, I, one of the things I love about it is the camaraderie for one thing, you're meeting people all along the way. You're running with, with different groups of people. You might come and go, you might, you might speed up, um, get ahead of the group that you're with, and then they might catch up with you and you just continue your conversations. And it's like one big, long, uh, you know, 10 hour long conversation that you're having with folks. Um, it's also, for me, it was really a, a, an incredible look at in, the inside of my mind and how my mind works. And, you know, I had some really crazy experiences on that run. It was, you know, there was a lot of the negative thinking coming up. I don't think I ever thought that I would stop, but I do remember around mile 38, I, I think I realized that I was actually falling asleep while I ran which was an interesting experience. I've never had that happen before. Almost like lucid, um, lucid dreaming at that point. Yeah. Which is a fascinating topic in and of itself, but, um, you know, it's something I'm into, but, uh, it, you know, my we right eye there. was we like go really, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we could talk about how we might use lucid dreaming in our, in our training, our marathon training. <laughs> um, if it'll help, I'm all for it. I'm I'm all for it too. I've been I've been reading about uh, a Tibetan practice called dream yoga. So we could talk about that some other time. But um, you know the that's my other podcast. The the dream yoga podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, running through your dreams. Uh, no, it's you know there was so much going on in the JFK. So much. Um, just I can't even say everything that was going on. And thinking back about it, so much of it's a blur. But it was really really fun. Um, the aid stations were awesome. You know, I've never had red velvet cake at an aid station in a race before or had so much hot chocolate. I think it was at around mile 40-something when they brought out the hot chocolate, and it was the most am amazing thing I've ever tasted in my life. Um, you know, I've, I've never... I don't think I've ever enjoyed the food along a race course as much as I did at, at JFK. It's always good to have like those Michelin star aid stations, but I do want to go back. Yeah. I, I think we kind of skipped over. I want to hear more about this falling asleep part. Oh, you know, I was in about mile 38 and I was on, so I was on the, um, the canal path and I kind of felt, I sort of felt like what's going on with my body. I was feeling lopsided. Like I was sort of veering off to the right a little bit. I noticed that the, you know, my right eye, <laughs> I don't know if a doctor is listening right now. They're probably thinking, yeah, he was having a stroke. I don't know, but um, I survived. But, uh, you know, my eye felt like it was closing against my will. And I realized, oh, my oh my goodness, um, I might be falling asleep right now. That's, I just realized that's kind of what it felt like. It felt like when you're drifting off and you're having that, uh, you know, kind of hallucinations that you have just before you fall asleep that was happening for me on the run. And, um, 
luckily there was an aid station not long after that. And I just chugged uh, Coke mm-hmm. and it, it, kept, it woke me up and kept me going. But um, it was a really weird experience. Were you feeling like a numbness at all? Like your could you sense no, like your legs or, or like, you know, your head dropping down? Because I, I know that feeling no, very well. I just felt super tired, uh, which, you know, is pretty normal, I think, after you run 38 miles, but um, super tired and my body was, or my, my brain was kind of not fighting the the desire to go to sleep, but my body was still going. Um, so that was a little strange and I've never, never had that happen any other time, but yeah. So then what was your big takeaway from this experience? You know, my big takeaway from that was just, you can do whatever you set your mind to. Um, you know, it was a sense of accomplishment and pride for me in that here I was, this about to turn 50-year-old dude who was never athletic as a kid, um, you know, kind of bullied a little bit in school, really nerdy. Um, and here I am, uh, you know, so many years later, and I just I just ran 50 miles. Um, pretty awesome. That that's that's the biggest takeaway. You know, I I all, I was going to say that I got to run across the finish line with my kids, but then I remembered they were too shy to run across the finish line with me. They kind of ran up to the finish line with me, and then and then got off the course, and I crossed the finish line by myself. But um, you know, it was it was just great to have them there uh, and just be able to celebrate with, with them and my wife. It was really exciting. And they are looking yeah. at, this is something that is going to be with them for the rest of their life. And it's showing this positive influence and as a positive role model to your children, which we need more of those type of parents. And we need more people like that, like you that are making it so we can use running to make the world a better place. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd, I'd like to think that I'm a positive role model for them. But I mean, they're, they're pre-teens. So, you know, it can go either way <laughs> with, with teenage kids. You just don't know. They're either going <laughs> to, they're either going to like you and, and want to do, want to be like you, or they're going to rebel against you completely. So the the best I can do is, is, you know, be the, the best person I can be and hopefully they turn out okay. But, you know, my kids are very, um, they're very wise kids. And they, um, they don't really need my advice or need me as a role model, but, um, I'm glad I can, you know, serve in some capacity as one for them. It does, it does make me happy when they get to see me feel that sense of accomplishment. They are way more athletic than I was at their age and they've already accomplished, um, you know, great things for kids their age in, you know, my, uh, one of my, my, both of my daughters play soccer. And they're both really good at it. And um, one of them, uh, the older one, fences. And she's really, she's really good and getting better at that. And she's had, um, you know, she's had three bronze medals in the last couple of tournaments she's done. So that's really exciting to see that. I mean, they inspire me in, in that way. Um, she's. I told her she had more medals from actually, uh, from actually making the podium than I had. I have, I have a couple of second place 5k, you know, 5k age group medals and the rest of my medals are just for participation. She's got more than I have already for, for being good at something. <laughs> so, 
you know, she's ahead of me already. But, but I, I, one of the things I love about running is, is talking about it, obviously, and inspiring other people to do it. And that was something I got out of my first, um, big year of running when I did the running streak. And when I ran my first marathon was that I was posting a lot on social media and people were telling me, you've inspired me to run. This is cool. You, you, you know, seeing that you can get out there every day, um, and do this made me get, try to get out there a couple days a week at least. Um, and it's, I don't know, there's kind of this backhanded compliment to it. Like, we saw you do it. And if you could do it, anybody can do it. So I'm kind of, <laughs> that's the backhanded way of inspiring people. But you know, I, that, that stuck with me from that is that running can be a way to inspire other people to make changes in their lives to, to make themselves happier. You know, and that's one of the ways I think that running can make the world a better place. I think, um, I think running makes better people. I think better people make better runners. And I think both of those things together make for a better world. I mean, obviously there's a lot of um, other, there are a lot of other things that need to take place for the world to be a better place. But I think that, um, you know, there's, there's something that comes from the, the, the mindfulness that we can cultivate on the run, the, 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 just the fitness alone and the state of mind that that, that being healthy can put you in. Um, and making happier people makes the world better. It just is, there's no doubt about that to me. And I think what you just said there, there's a circular effect to it. So somebody's mm -hmm. saying like, oh, you've inspired me to run. And now I'm paying more attention to them and watching them grow in their running, which is re-inspiring me to do more, yes. which is in turn re-inspiring them to do more. So it becomes yeah. this infinite loop of positivity. It really is. It's, um, yeah, it just keeps going. I have friends, local friends who I run with and have been running with for, you know, four or five years now on a regular basis. And we inspire each other. You know, I know that I was the first crazy runner out of the bunch, but, um, you know, they've, I've encouraged them to run longer distances, to train. Uh, and now I have them, you know, texting me last night to say, do you want to do intervals at five o'clock tomorrow morning on the track? To which I said, not this week, <laughs> um, but thanks for thinking of me, you know, but they're the ones out there that are now inspiring me to do better. You know, they're, they're, we're all in the same sort of middle-aged man age group. Like we're all around 50 years old and it's nice at this age to have that kind of inspiration um, instead of just to be bogged down by life. It's fantastic. And many of us, and I, ha I was at an event, somebody came up to me, was like, you're looking great. Like I'm following your running. I'm so inspired. And it's like, he's like, you must be really going through a big midlife crisis. And, <laughs> and, and, I, and I just was like, I go, like, well, if you're talking about me running a lot because of a midlife crisis, I have to be going through a crisis and I don't have any crisis going on right now. So I just, right. I just enjoy running. I'm not doing this because I have a midlife crisis. I'm doing this because I started five years ago. So I'm 48 now. So, you know, I started, I, okay. I, I've always tried. So I'm in the same age group with you. Yeah. So 
and I tried running, but I used to cycle a lot. I used to do my hundred mile. I used to bike centuries, things like that. So I getting into running was just, it was a delayed start. And it's not like I started running because I'm going through a midlife crisis. So it's like, you almost get to the point where it's like, no, I have, there's no crisis. I just really enjoy doing this. And when you say something like that and you really mean it, they're taken aback for a moment because they don't understand. Mm-hmm. They, they want it. They want to say like, what's that for? It's like, uh, the Debbie Downer or it's like, you, you like, oh, you say, <laughs> I'm going through a crisis. So therefore I need everybody else to go through a crisis. Like, it's not about that. It's like, no, I just really fucking love running. I want to go run in the woods for a really long time because my mom said, don't go play on the rocks and run through swamps and be back (laughs) here by dinner. I'm like, and don't run in the dark. No, I want to do all that. (laughs) Yeah, that's the fun stuff. We can still rebel against our parents, even even at 50 years old. It's it's pretty amazing. My my parents, when I go hiking or if I go run in the mountains, they're like, can you turn on that thing that we can follow you (laughs) so we know you're okay? (laughs) And I know they still worry, don't they? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'll be 70 and, you know, hopefully my parents will still be alive at that point. I'll be 70 and the mom will still be like, call us when you get home to make sure you know you're safe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's their job. Yep. (laughs) That's that's what they're there for. Eric, this has been fantastic. Uh, I'm so happy we got to talk and there is just great information. So uh, do you have any uh, parting words for our listeners out there? Um, I think I just want to say, have a good time. You know, we're, we're really lucky. I was thinking about this when we were talking about, you know, well, just over the course of, of talking last hour, um, how lucky we are to be runners. Not everyone has this opportunity. Not everybody has the luxury that we have to be able to do this. And that's one of the things that I want, um, you know, I want people to leave my Dharma running workshops with is a sense of how, um, privileged and lucky we are to have this and have this life and have be able to have this experience of running and that we should use it for something bigger than ourselves, you know, that we should take and we can take our running and use it to inspire people. We can use it to help people. We can use it, you know, we didn't get into like the fundraising and things like that that can be done, but there's so much going on out there. Uh, Running is really making a difference in the world and making it a better place. And I would just encourage anybody who wants to start running or who is running now to see it as a way to, to take that extra step and, and make a difference for other people too. And that a Buddhist approach, the path to enlightenment is attained by utilizing morality, meditation, and wisdom. And you hit all three of those right on the head. That's right. It's the sort of, it's called the three trainings and it's that, um, you know, the mindfulness, the, the, the view of, of interconnectedness or inner being, and then, um, compassionate action in the world. And I'm thinking of Rocky now <laughs> as a Bodhisattva, you know, the Bodhisattva is the person who foregoes enlightenment. They're kind of the underdog. They say, I'm not going to become enlightened until everybody else is. And Rocky running up the steps of the art museum with all those kids trailing behind him. He's the Bodhisattva that's leading all those kids to enlightenment. So I want to finish with that right there. Mike Rocky drop. is the Buddha. Right on. Well, we can't, we, we that's it. Thanks for tuning in. So, all right. uh, uh, Thanks, Eric, Peter. it was fantastic. Have a fantastic yeah, night. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Have a good one. 
All right. Thanks a lot, man. You too. Bye-bye. That's it for this week. Thank you for tuning in. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button and feel free to share with your fellow runners. If you'd like to be a guest on our program, you can apply on our website, storiesfromtherun.com. Because every runner has a story, we'd like to hear yours. Until next time, may the rain stay in Spain and the wind be at your backs. Peace.